I'm Jack Kennedy. And they hit a lot harder in my opinion too. What is up everybody? My name is Caelan McNamara and everyone's got a plan until they get hit with my views. I am Hunter Boss. He just wanted to go to the distance by the looks of it. But he couldn't even do that. And this is the MMA Island Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the MMA Island Podcast. I am Jack Kennedy alongside Keelan McNamara and Hunter Boss. We have a big episode ahead of us today. UFC 263 is, well, when this is released on a Saturday, it is today. Very exciting. Uh, three massive fights on the card. Israel Adesanya, Marvin Vittori, Figueroa versus Moreno, too. And Nate Diaz versus Leon Edwards. Stack, stack, stack card. We will get you the predictions for the three main fights uh, in just a second. We will also be talking about Chad Mendez and a potential return for him if he should do it. What's going on? And we have some great fan questions to end off the episode. Let's go ahead and get started into it. Nate Diaz, Leon Edwards, the first of the three five-round fights on the card. Hunter, get us started. Who do you think wins it? Stockton, baby. Stockton's winning this one. I think this is a bad matchup for Leon Edwards anywhere you put it. Nate Diaz is so resilient on the feet. Anything you throw at him, he can take. Um, if he could take a full-fledged leg kick that was, or a full-fledged head kick from Masvidal and still be perfectly fine going to guard and just like live through that, Leon Edwards is going to be in some trouble. I feel like Leon Edwards doesn't have enough power behind his strikes to put Diaz away. And he's got great wrestling, but Nate's got better Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So anywhere you you put this fight, I have Nate Diaz winning this fight. And I'll give you my prediction right now. I say Nate Diaz by round three submission. I like my guy Hunter a lot, but I have to disagree <laughs> with him. I think Birmingham takes this, but not for the reason that you think. You see, I agree with Hunter a lot. I don't think Nate Diaz can be knocked out. I think he is the Terminator reincarnated. I'm I'm starting to believe this is truth now. I don't even think I'm trying to be funny anymore. I mean, to take a head kick from Jorge Masvidal and not be blacked out for the next six months is miraculous. And he deserves so much respect for that. My problem is I think this fight ends the same way the Masvidal one did. And I think <sighs> it's a doctor's stoppage. I sure hope not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, none of us want to see a doctor stoppage. You know, I actually agree with Hunter and you, Jack, on this. I really don't want to see that happen. The problem is with Nate, we discussed this on the last episode, and as much as we don't want it to be, it is a big factor. Nate Diaz bleeds easily, and he bleeds heavily. The problem is because he's such a gangster, which we all love him for, he's taken so much punishment over the years and his scar tissue is practically non-existent by this point. And love him or hate on love him or hate him, Leon Edwards strikes clean and he strikes often and he strikes hard. The Bilal Muhammad fight was one that was quite difficult to get a lot out of because it only lasted seven minutes. But Bilal Muhammad got beat up for those seven minutes. Leon Edwards' kickboxing is very underrated. And I don't think Edwards is going to let this fight get to the ground. I think he's going to push the pace from the beginning. He's going to land a few stiff, crisp jabs. I think under Nate's eye is going to get cut open and he's going to start bleeding again. And realistically, this this fight will not be decided on skill or toughness or uh, actual, you know, black belt versus black belt 
This is going to be decided on Nate Diaz's ability to keep his hands up and stop his face from bleeding. Sadly for Nate, you know, I love Nate as much as anybody. I think that's well known by this point. I just don't think he can do it. I think he's going to take a few good shots to the face. He's going to start bleeding like he did against Masvidal. And the more he bleeds, the more the doctor becomes a factor. And Nate cannot let that happen. He has to keep his hands up and he's got to protect his face or this fight will be stopped. I hope it doesn't happen. I just see it happening. I'm going to say Leon Edwards um, beginning of round four via a doctor's stoppage. Wow. So I am on the exact same page as you, Keelan, but I, it comes a little bit full circle because I disagree with Hunter in a lot of ways. I think this matchup is very bad for Nate Diaz. I think mm. Leon Edwards has great, great cardio enough to last hang with Nate Diaz. I don't think he'll be able to wear him down as much as he would a McGregor. Um, I think Leon Edwards has amazing takedown defense. So if it does get to the point where Nate Diaz is shooting, all due respect to Nate Diaz, he does not have the best takedown offense. He has some great BJJ, but not the great take, not great takedown offense. And Leon Edwards has great takedown defense. So I don't think that lines up good for Nate Diaz. And then when you're looking at the striking, yes, we only saw like he was at seven minutes against Bilal Muhammad, but he looked precise, powerful, uh, quick, clean. Everything was landing. Everything was purposeful. He was dominating the center of the octagon. And I think he can very much do the same against Nate Diaz. I don't even think Nate Diaz gets dropped. And I actually completely agree with the round and everything you said too, Keelan. I think, except for me, the end of round four is when it will be stopped because of that cut. I just think the precision, the amount of volume of strikes landing over and over and over again to Diaz's face, he's going to cut everything open. And it's, it's going to be, it's going to be messy. And, I don't think the doctor will stop it early on like they did the Masvidal fight because we saw what happened with that and the, the backlash. But eventually you'll get to some point where you will have to consider stopping the fight no matter what. And I think that's what it's going to get to right before the fifth round at the end of the fourth. Um, I think it's just going to be so bad. And Nate will just be so – I don't want to say – I don't want to say outmatched, but I just think Leon will be taking control of the fight so much to the point also where it's like it's understandable why they stopped the fight. That's how I see it going. Nate Diaz always has a shot in the fight. I just think Leon Edwards is just all around one of the best welterweights on the planet right now. And I think he's really close to getting that title shot. I think he's so close to being championship ready. I think this fight will prove it for Leon Edwards. That's a good point, Jack. And I agree with a lot of what you said here, but what you said also goes for me here. I'm, I think it's fine that Nate Diaz has terrible takedown defense because those who try to shoot on Nate Diaz and get the takedown end up getting reversed almost half, half the time, if not three quarters of the time, you know? And we take a look at Nate Diaz too. He doesn't shoot for the takedown. He loves piecing people up on the feet. It's his opponents that end up shooting for the takedown. And that's how the beginning of the end starts for them. We took a look at this for the McGregor fight. Yep. We can take a look at this for all of his ultimate fighter fights. This happens almost every single time. And I feel like we're going to see this again because Leon Edwards loves to end his combinations with a takedown. You know, he, either if that's just pinning him against the against the side of the cage and just beating up on the side of the cage, or if that's actually going for a double leg, Leon Edwards does a fantastic job of mixing it up. But almost all of, all of his uh, combinations end in something like a takedown. So, I think this is going to work poorly for Leon Edwards if he does try to do what he usually does. I think if he stays on the feet and he just lets the doctors do what they do, he can easily get this fight because. Like Keelan said, his scar tissue, Nate Diaz's scar tissue, is like paper at this point. It just cuts open so easily. And if it's below the eye, that's what we want. Because 
as soon as it's above the eye and it starts dripping the eye, that's when the doctor will be ready to stop the fight because it's going to inhibit the fighter from seeing. And we don't want that to happen for any fighter, especially Nate Diaz. So um, I think uh, towards the end of the round of round three, that's when I think that submission is going to be coming in because Leon Edwards, it might be, I know his cardio is fantastic, but when you're going against a fighter like Nate Diaz, who just peppers you constantly, I think he's going to get a little sloppy and he's going to shoot for a takedown that he shouldn't have gone for. And this is going to be the beginning to his downfall. Nate Diaz, round three submission. I'm sticking to it. Yeah, Hunter makes some great points, and I disagree with very few of them, but I still have to disagree. The problem is, if this fight hits the ground, there's no contest. Mm -hmm. Whoever goes to the ground with Nate Diaz is getting swallowed up like they're getting attacked by an anaconda. There just is no issue. On the feet, it's the same story, but in Leon's favor. Mm -hmm. Nate Diaz's boxing is very underrated, but his defense is non-existent. What you will see with Nate Diaz here, I believe, he will keep this on the feet and even i think he enjoys a two-inch reach advantage over leon but what he does is his shots are very looping his jabs are looping his crosses are looping what he does as well as if he goes to the body he leans down and he throws it with his hands open and he is going to get busted apart if he does that it's all well and good landing a job to the body, but Leon's going to be, he's going to throw head kicks. He's going to have one, two combos straight to the face. And he's going to, ha- I think he'll have Nate busted up by the end of the first round. Now I fully agree with Jack. And I actually, I'm on the same page as Jack here. The doctors are going to let this one go longer because they, yeah. they do not want, and they will not want the same backlash with, as with the Masvidal fight but the doctors will do their job if they have to. We've seen it many, many, many times, and they will do it here if that's what they have to do. I think with Nate, again, as I said, his boxing is underrated, but Leon's kickboxing is elite, and there are there's levels to stand up, and I do think Leon's stand-up's a good level or two above Nate. Again, the example I use is the Bilal Muhammad fight for seven minutes. Leon landed at will against Bilal Muhammad, The only reason Bilal Muhammad wasn't bleeding is he's taken nowhere near as much damage as Nate Diaz. But if you substitute Diaz for Muhammad and Leon can apply the same formula, he will have Nate bleeding like a stuffed pig by the end of the second round if that's what he wants. Now, again, I think Nate Diaz is too tough to be knocked out. I've never said that about anyone, but you do have to say it about Nate Diaz because he just is. But... If he ends up losing too much blood, the doctors will stop this. And I have to stick to my prediction. Um, I think if it goes to the ground, I would change my prediction. And I would obviously be in big favor of Nate Diaz in that sphere of the fight. But as long as this fight stays in the feet, it's Leon Edwards is to lose. I completely agree with that. I The other thing is, too, and Hunter, you, this is actually a great point that you made. Leon Edwards does like to finish his combinations with takedowns. He does that against almost every single opponent. But rarely has he faced such a specialist on the ground like Nate Diaz. I'd like to imagine that he has been training this entire training camp to just stick on the feet and keep his range, keep his distance and everything. Um, and that's what I do imagine he will do because I can't imagine him engaging willingly if he's winning on the feet in the takedown. And again, that being said, people have done it before, but that's that's my reasoning again behind. I don't think the fight will willingly go to the ground from Leon Edwards unless he's hurt, which I think he wins the stand up, which is why I think he wins the fight. That's just my that's just my uh, 
you know, reasoning behind it. Uh, but you never know. You never know. And that's why this fight is so entertaining. Nate Diaz returning. Um, and that just gets us started. Then we have the rematch of one of the fights of the year last year. And it, and uh, Davison Figueroa versus Brandon Moreno. Hunter, who do you think wins it? Guys, when I tell you this is one of my favorite fights of the year, I am not lying right here. Last year when this fight came out in December, I was all for it. And it's still one of my favorite fights of all time. So do not sleep on this fight, anything you guys do. But when it comes down to the fight itself, you got to realize that not only was Devison Figueredo on two weeks notice, Brandon Moreno was on two weeks notice for this fight too. Both fighters were green. They were coming off of fights about four weeks uh, before their fight happened. And you can't really use that as a factor going into this fight right now because both fighters were new. So I'm going to go back from scratch. I'm going to use what I saw from the first fight. I'm going to tell you what I think is going to happen. Devison Figueredo is honestly one of the most intriguing fighters I've ever seen step in the octagon. The way he strikes and the way he'll throw combinations is absolutely so unique to his character that you just have to stand there with your wide open. And when we take a look at Brandon Moreno, he is the most resilient fighter. Rocky Balboa comes into mind when I think of Brandon Moreno, except instead of the Italian stallion, he's the Mexican stallion because if he does win this fight, he'll be the first UFC champion crowned for Mexico. He'll make millions. He'll be so popular. It would absolutely, he would shoot for stardom at this point. And he is such a likable guy too. So I feel like the UFC wants Brandon Moreno to win this fight. But Devison Figueredo is absolutely does not care what the UFC thinks. I think Devison Figueredo, when it comes down to this fight, is going to knock out Brandon Moreno, but not in the first round like he usually does his, most of his opponents. I think this is going to draw out. I think this is going to be a bit of a bloody match like it was before. It's going to go back and forth for some time. But I think when it comes to the third or fourth round, Devson Figueredo is going to start landing a flurry of punches, where, which Brandon Moreno will not be able to stop. And Devison Figueredo will get a TKO victory come round four. Yeah, um, I completely echo everything Hunter's just said. For the love of God, people don't sleep on this fight. <laughs> the first one was insane. Greatest flyweight fight of all time, and it's not close. That's how good it was. There's a lot of interesting dynamics coming into this fight, and there's there's quite a few more than people realize and are giving credit for. Davidson Figueredo is the most powerful flyweight I've ever seen fight. He is so powerful. He carries so much with him. In that in that Joseph Benavidez fight, in fact, oh, in both of them, beautiful. he he just knocked him down at will. I've never seen anybody do that. His jabs knocked him down. His hooks were causing stupid amounts of damage. Quite frankly, the ref should have stopped the fight in both of those way oh, earlier. Absolutely. Just absolute violence personified but brandon moreno is a very intriguing prospect i mean i'll be honest when i saw this fight the first time i didn't give moreno much of a chance i thought figurative is going to be the next he's going to be the anderson silva of the flyweight division we'll just see him rule it and perhaps lose his title whenever he wants to but no it wasn't the case brandon moreno proved an incredibly difficult puzzle to solve one that figurative couldn't um he just poses so many problems. He brings such good pressure for a flyweight. He's such a good all-rounded fighter. He presents a real wrestling threat. His stand-up was underrated too. One thing we learned about Davidson Figueredo was after the Benavidez fights, we thought, as I said, he would be dominant. But he doesn't like getting hit, and he does not respond well to pressure either. 
that was one thing I was very intrigued by with the first fight. And one thing Moreno did perfectly, what he proved was that Figueredo can be rattled and he can be rattled quite badly if you can get on the front foot and put your foot in the gas and get the punches in against him and back him up. He doesn't like that. He likes to be the one basically leading the dance, not being led. The, other, the problem, though, for Brandon Moreno, and I think the problem the Figueredo is going to exploit here are leg kicks. In the first fight, Brandon Moreno was very, very heavy on his lead leg. It's something I noticed, actually, whenever I rewatched it. Um, the fighter Davidson Figueredo reminds me of to watch is Jose Aldo. Yeah, he, like he loads up very, very similar to Aldo. He's almost like a coiled spring, and he's just waiting for you to mess, and he will just snap the shot off. And I think he's going to incorporate some Muay Thai leg kicks against Moreno Again, especially against that lead leg. If he does that, Moreno could be in real trouble because then his mobility is gone. That being said, if Moreno can get an early takedown or two in, then he could really, really rattle Figueredo. Figueredo might completely lose his head like he did in the press conference. He pushed Moreno for no reason whatsoever. And people don't actually consider that enough. Whenever you look at a press conference, a fighter's first reaction generally tells you how the fight will go. And Figueredo looked really, really rattled to me. I think the pressure, I think he can be got to with pressure. And I think Moreno's cool enough to get the job done. Nothing seems to phase him. Qualities of a champion. As for an actual prediction, there's two ways this fight will go for me. I think either a late stoppage for Davidson Figueredo if he incorporates leg kicks, I think he, he might wear Brandon Moreno out. But if he doesn't, and if Moreno can get pressure on early and get on the front foot early, I can I can also see a late stoppage or a decision for Brandon Moreno. So those are my two predictions. Interesting. I, I like it. Keelan and Hunter already said it, but I have to legally say it as well. Do not miss out on this fight. It is going to be so good. The first one... Let's not forget, Figueroa headlined the previous uh, pay-per-view, or not headlined, but was in the previous pay-per-view. Then two weeks later, they don't have an event for the next pay-per-view. He's like, all right, let me step in. Brandon Moreno also fought on that exact same card where Figueroa fought. Uh, I believe it was Perez. I might be wrong. But then he went yeah, on I and fought – um, then, then he went on and fought Moreno two weeks later. So these are guys fighting for a championship fight in the flyweight division, the highest level of this headlining a pay-per-view on two weeks notice, just after coming out of the fight. That's immediately starting the weight cut again. Very little time to prepare. You're preparing for two opponents that are fresh off of quick victories. It's insane what they did. And it's even crazier that they put on the greatest fight in flyweight history. So now they've had months and months and months to prepare for each other. It's just going to be even crazier. And we're actually going to see the true best versions of these fighters going against each other after going to war for the first fight. Um, it's the, everything you want is, is in this fight. You guys both said it. I agree with Figueroa. I think he is just such a big, people are talking about the weight thing. He always struggles to cut weight because he is a massive flyweight. The thing Huge. is he's making weight now. He used to not make weight. He used to miss here and there. Now he's a champ. Now he's making weight, which is big. Even if he's last on the scale, it doesn't matter. One minute left doesn't matter. He made the weight and that power will be there. And that is going to be the X factor for me in this fight. You could tell, especially early on in the first fight, Moreno would go in and be fast and everything and catch Figueroa off guard. However, an uppercut, one punch, and it would send Moreno back because it just he has that power. I am 
going to go ahead and say this, and I think I, I stand by it. I think he is the most powerful flyweight I have ever seen in my entire life. As I'd agree with that. Just he throws. Yeah, most definitely. Um, and it affects everybody, including Brandon Moreno. I think Moreno will have an enormous, a, a great game plan going into it. But, Keelan, you picked up on this. The leg kicks are huge. And once you set up the leg kicks and everything, and you can start throwing more punches off of that and everything, jabs, crosses, everything, just that power and that, that all that stuff will add up. I don't think it will go to – I don't think it will be stopped. I think it will go to a decision. I think Figueiredo gets the decision because every time Moreno will come in, he'll set him back with one of those big power shots. And I think Figueiredo will also conserve some energy this time, knowing that this fight very well could go 25 minutes, just like it did the first time. But now he can pour it on later in the fight, use his energy in the right places, more combinations, you know. And I just think that overall – even though Moreno might have the better game plan and might have the better grappling and everything, those scrambles are going to be insane no matter what. Figaro is just that explosive. Um, so I think he has all the tools to get it done. I just think that power will be, will be the X factor and just set them apart, especially when you're watching the fight. Moreno might even have more strikes landed or, or more whatever, but whenever you look at the most powerful shots and the things that set him back in the key moments in the fight, I see that going to Figgy, and uh, I think he gets the decision. And still, but another great fight. I, I I think this is a fight that's almost a lock for it's going to be amazing because both guys will absolutely bring it. The pace will be insane. Um, and it's gonna be another great flyweight fight. I cannot wait. Yeah, no, I couldn't I couldn't agree. This has fight of the night written all over it, guys. Um, but one thing I'd like to say here is Keelan picked up on it. The mental warfare for this uh matchup here is gonna be insane because I've heard from both ends. Both ends are rattled from their first fight, you know. If we take a look at the embedded episodes, we take a look at the coaches on Devison Figueredo's side talking about how Brandon Moreno is almost like a god to them. Like he's almost unstoppable. It's basically they, they, they're hyping him up to be more than a man, which is insane because I feel like that would rattle your your fighter more. But then if you take a look at the Brandon Moreno side of things, apparently he couldn't even celebrate Christmas to the fullest of his ability because he had that fight on his mind. Yeah. There's many different like things of mental warfare that come into this factor which is just absolutely insane to me. I love, I love to hear the mental warfare behind it. I want to see how that's going to affect the fight itself. Um, but the way I see this fight stopping, just to be more specific, if you take a look at the way uh, Clarissa Shields just finished her last opponent, that's what I feel like Devison Figueredo is going to do to Brandon Moreno. I think Brandon Moreno is going to try to go in for a takedown here, but Devison Figueredo is going to land some power shots from almost like the sitting down knee position. And I think it's going to catch the ref's eye and he, Brandon Moreno is not going to move from that position. I don't know if Brandon Moreno will be that hurt from it, but it's going to look really bad on Brandon Moreno's part. And I think that's when the ref will stop, step in and stop the fight. I feel like that's a that's kind of reasonable. I don't think Brandon Moreno can actually be stopped, stopped, but I don't think he's going to get knocked out cold. I just think the only way he can actually possibly lose is due to TK, TKO or decision. So I'm imagining the uh, TKO on Devison Figueredo though. Yeah, I can't disagree with anything you guys have said. It's all incredibly accurate and it's all incredibly fair. I do think the mental warfare is being overlooked by a lot of people. I think Hunter just made an excellent point in putting the exclamation point on that. Again, I go back to what I said in my first turn. Um, Figueredo looked rattled. And I mean, he looked really rattled. I've never seen him look that rattled before. And that, that if I were a Figueredo fan, that would concern me. Because, you know, either Brandon Moreno is genuinely that cool or he's got an excellent poker face, but it's one of the two. And nothing fazed him. The face-off, the questions, the 
occasion, nothing got to him. And, you know, a fighter's psyche is an extremely important part of any fight that you're in. And it just seemed like the occasion almost got to Figueredo every time he was questioned. You know, Moreno was very respectful. He said, you know, I'm coming in, I'm going to do my best. Obviously, he remembers how good the first fight was. But, you know, Figueredo was very emotional. He said, you know, I'm going to knock you out. You know, you've been talking about this and talking about that. I'm going to finish you. And, you know, either Figueredo is trying to convince himself or he's trying to scare Moreno and he's not going to scare Moreno. So I agree with Hunter. I think the embedded episodes have been amazing because they do give you such a good insight into that. I don't think Moreno is going to be finished either. I think Moreno is very good at switching up and changing levels during his fights. And Figueredo showed in the first fight, he struggles to adapt to his opponent when his opponent tries different things as well. Figueredo is amazing when the fight is standing. His boxing and his power are second to none at flyweight, but his wrestling was not good the first fight. He got it taken to him and he struggled. Now, to his credit, he got back up on his feet and he was very good in that regard. But in the actual nitty gritty of it, his scrambles weren't great and his takedown defense as shocking as it is to say, was pretty poor. Now, of course, this fight is much more interesting than the first one because, as Jack said, both guys have had a completely full camp. They've had months on months of actually studying each other's tape, and they're going to be trying to psych each other out. The first round is probably going to be a very big failing out contest because I'm intrigued to see what which fire implements a game plan first and how they go about it, who sets the pace, who dictates the tempo of the fight. All these things are going to determine who wins in the end. And it's just such a chess match. It's so close. It really is the flip of a coin at this point, actually. And I'm just so intrigued to see it. I really, really am. Do not miss this fight. Yeah, absolutely. And I, bringing you back what Hunter said, too, about the finish with the potential TKO, um, I think that's a very interesting point, but I don't really see it going that way because I just think Moreno is too fast to be stuck in that situation. The Cholesterol's Shield is a great example, and I think that would work on 90% of the, if the people that would be fighting Figueroa. But if you look at the scrambles in the first fight and the scrambles that throughout Moreno's entire career, he's too fast. He's The minute he hits the ground, he's up. He's he's going all over the place. It really is the same thing with Figueroa as well, but Moreno is just so quick in everything. Even if he is a little bit rattled, I don't really see him being stuck in that position. Now, what I could see happening is him against the cage, a figure is walking him down and then dropping him from there. I could see that happening. But I just think just based off of his scramble and then getting caught there, I don't really see that happening. But, hey, who knows? Um, anything can happen. And also, real quick, shout out Cain Velasquez, the first um, Mexican UFC champion. But Moreno. Oh. Moreno would be number two, which is also absolutely massive. Um, and obviously it would absolutely shoot him to superstardom in not only the UFC, but his own country as well. Um, a lot at stake in that fight. Mental warfare, a great example from Keelan. Do not miss it. Absolutely. And we've covered two fights that should be their own pay-per-view headliners. And now we get to the main event. Israel Adesanya versus Marvin Vittori. Hunter, who wins it? I got to go with my guy Izzy on this one. I mean, I think Marvin Vittori is a fantastic wrestler and he's got some pretty okay stand-up. But if we take a look at Israel Adesanya's like record and then who he's fought in comparison to Marvin Vittori, it is just it it stacks on itself, you know. It, it's it's one of the greatest records you could see with some of the greatest fighters he's beaten in the middleweight history. 
And when you take a look at Marvin Vittori's record, I feel like the best person he beat was Jack Hermanson. I think Kevin Holland's uh, – he already had the blueprint on how to beat Kevin Holland and went out there and did exactly what he was supposed to do. But kudos to him for doing that. But then again, I don't feel like it was as much as a challenge as Izzy's had in his career. And I feel like the wrestling in this fight is definitely a key factor for Marvin Vittori, but it's not going to be the way he thinks it's going to be because the only reason Israel Ansai got so dominated in the wrestling from Jan Blachowicz is because Jan Blachowicz timed it so perfectly and Jan Blachowicz weighed so much more than him. I mean, we're taking a look at the weight differential here. Izzy came in, I think, seven pounds under when he was what he had to be the weight limit. And then Jan Blachowicz, he came in at 205, but he probably weighed something around like 208, 210 at the end of the day, at the, or at the start I'd of the fight. I'd say more than that. Yeah, probably more than that. that. Let's be honest here. And Izzy just remained the same weight. So the reason Izzy couldn't pull Jan off of him is because he just simply weighed too much. I, just, I, I don't think there's any other factors at this point. I mean, I think Jan Blachowicz is a fantastic wrestler. Don't get me wrong here. But Izzy is usually fine in those positions. And he's going to be fine in those positions tomorrow night or tonight if <laughs> this comes out tomorrow. Um, so this is going to be a fantastic fight. Don't get me wrong, but I think Izzy's going to do, he's going to, uh, and he's going to really ensue what he wants to do on Marvin Vittori and he's going to embarrass him. I think the first time around it, Izzy should have won the fight and he did win the fight. I know it was a split decision. I know this is a rematch and all. And Marvin Vittori's on a win streak. Izzy's coming off a loss, but those are deceiving you right now. We got to take a look at the facts and we got to take a look on who's fought who. Izzy has fought the better opponents. Izzy has fought the better wrestlers. Let's be honest here. He fought Yoel Romero and still be, came out on top. Granted, they didn't do a lot of takedowns, but still you got to kind of give it to him there. Um, but when it comes down to wrestling, I think Izzy's got one of the highest takedown defenses in the middleweight division. I think it's something around 85%. Um, Marvin Vittori, he really needs to go for that takedown. And that is the key to success to beating Israel Nsaya though I don't think it's going to be that way for him. So I'm going to go with Israel Ansaya, maybe second-round knockout. Remember everything I just said about mental warfare? Apply it to this and yes. see what you think. Sure. Marvin Vittori, is, he conducted himself terribly yesterday. This, I just think this whole thing's getting to him. He's too emotional. He's too, he's too loud. And I think Israel Adesanya is going to absolutely smoke Marvin Vittori. Quite frankly, you know, I said this a couple of months ago, Marvin Vittori doesn't even deserve this fight. As far as I'm concerned, and I still maintain my position on this, there is nothing that justifies Marvin Vittori over Derek Brunson. If anything, I would argue Derek Brunson deserves it more than Marvin Vittori. I said when he fought Kevin Holland, you need finishes. What did Marvin Vittori go and do? He did the exact same thing Derek Brunson did. Quite frankly, Marvin Vittori has even less of an excuse because like Hunter just said word for word perfectly, he had the blueprint to beat Kevin Holland and he still didn't do it. And quite frankly, even at the beginning of the fifth round in that fight, Kevin Holland had Vittori badly hurt, you'll remember. He landed a four or five strike combination after four rounds of being dominated on the ground and still had Vittori wobbly. What the hell is Israel Adesanya going to do to him? I think Adesanya is going to light him up. I think we're going to see a return to uh, Paulo Costa, Israel Adesanya. Um, one point I do briefly want to divert onto, though, is the Adesanya-Jan Blakovich fight, if I may. This has obviously been mentioned a lot in the build-up, and I do want to refer to Hunter's point about Adesanya's weight coming into that fight. 
whilst it's a very valid point and it was the reasoning for why Adesanya lost, that should not be Adesanya's defense. That should be Adesanya's criticism. He should not have come in that low. I said on our I said in our group chat the day we saw the weigh-ins, he's too light. Yep. Whenever you go up to 205, you've got to go up to 205. There's a reason it's called 205. You he created the mismatch for himself because quite frankly, he arrogantly thought he could keep it on the feet and he didn't. And that was on Jan Blakovic. He executed that perfectly. But Adesanya's made the mistake once. I don't see him making the same mistake twice. He's back at 185. He's still the king of that jungle. And I think he remains the king again. Um, You know, Marvin Vittori, quite frankly, has nothing to justify any claim that he'll beat Anderson, or not Anderson, I was going to say Anderson Silva, Israel Adesanya. Um, he, I just don't see what justification he has on paper for making the outrageous claims that he did. You know, his wrestling is elite. Nobody questions that. But his stand-up, quite frankly, is poor. As I said, a tired and morally beaten Kevin Holland had him hurt in the fifth round. And had he have pushed that, he would have gotten the finish after losing four rounds, 10-8 on the ground. So I see... I can only see Israel Adesanya just smacking him around the octagon, quite frankly. I think Vittori's going to go in early. He's going to go in emotional. He's going to try and get him against the cage and get the takedown. And Adesanya's just not going to be there. I think Adesanya's going to pepper him with jabs. He's going to bloody his nose. He's going to cut under his eye. And I actually, it's funny he mentions this because, again, I'm on the same page as Hunter. I think this is a second-round knockout. I think that first round, he is going to frustrate the life out of Vittori. And we mentioned an Italian before in the Italian Stallion and Rocky Balboa. Marvin Vittori is going to come out of that corner like a raging bull. And he is gonna he's gonna want to put Adesanya through the ground, and Adesanya is gonna put him into the shadow realm. I do believe this, and I think this is what's gonna happen. Vittori's gonna go in for an ill-time takedown. He's gonna get caught. He's gonna get caught badly, and I think he's gonna get finished. Yes, yes, yes. I have so much to say about this, and you guys already said so much. No. Um, it's it's hard to add on to it, but let me start with this. Um, Vittori put his shorts on backwards at the. <laughs> <laughs> why you gotta start with that well <laughs> this ties into a point as funny as that is i think that backs up what keelan was saying about the moment getting to him and i have reasoning for this just so much is going through his mind and at the press conference too when he's losing his mind and, and, and screaming at adesanya and getting so red and so angry it's just further stuff boiling into it i think he's just so obsessed with the moment so obsessed with with being champion he's so amped up about every little thing that the stupid little things like that will happen and i think that shows that as, as funny as hilarious as that is i think that does back up exactly what keelan was saying um about the moment with marvin vittori um i also think a large part of that is because he is not ready for this moment yet like you guys said jack hermanson is the highest level opponent he's beaten and jack hermanson's good we just saw him against uh shabazian he, he is jack hermanson is very good but he is not championship material and i i hate to bring this up because it's not applying to this title fight specifically but who should be realistically fighting Adesanya? We say this over and over and over again, Robert Whitaker. And that is because Robert Whitaker has been at that championship level. He's proven he can beat the best of the best of the best. And he's still beaten the best at the top of, at the top of middleweight. Vittori has, has talked his way into it. In my opinion, he beat uh, Kevin Holland pretty dominantly, but he had his moments. 
this is this is where it gets me so much. Where I I I, I ha- this is where I'm going to go on the long stretch because he beat Kevin Holland, but Kevin Holland really pieced him up a lot. Yeah. Yes. Every time they were on the feet, Victoria was hurt. Victoria was in trouble. He couldn't do it. But Kevin Holland has no takedown defense. And he's training with uh, the AKA guys now with Daniel Cormier and everybody. So thank, hopefully he'll be better <laughs> next one. But especially that fight following uh, the, the, the Derek Brunson fight, he has no takedown defense. It's been exposed completely. And still, Vittori wasn't even fainting takedowns to, to help out on his feet, to, to try and win on the feet, to try and get a finish or anything. He would just take him down and hold him there realistically. And not that much happened to it. It was it was really bad. I mean, he got that arm triangle again, but we saw Derek Brunson try and get an arm triangle on Kevin Holland. Kevin Holland's too long and lanky to get an arm triangle on. So no excuses for that fight for Marvin Vittori. Keelan, what you said about Derek Brunson deserving it more than Vittori, I completely, completely agree. The only reason they gave it to Vittori is because Vittori didn't lose by a knockout to Adesanya before. And so they can build it up. And, and, Vittori's, and Vittori can say, oh, I beat him, I beat him. Realistically, he definitely did not beat him in that fight. But he can say that he beat him. And so then there you go. Oh, they fought before. There's bad blood. You see the press conference. Vittori is just screaming into the microphone. He's not going to have a voice for the time they fight. But he, he he's doing it, and it's marketing the fight. And it, it'll get people to watch. But when you get in there, and this is my bold prediction, Adesanya wins in the first round. I don't think Vittori makes it out of the first round because what is he going to do? What is his key to victory? Take down, take down, take down. Adesanya will know that. He's back in his natural weight class. He's taller, lankier, everything. He will time that. He will catch Vittori. And Vittori's chin, I think, also got exposed against Kevin Holland. Now, Kevin Holland hits like a truck, but Adesanya hits like a truck, but is also as precise as it gets. He will pick you apart. The argument that people have that Vittori will beat Adesanya is saying that he will do with what Jan Blakovich did to Israel Adesanya. Marvin Vittori is not even half the fighter Jan Blakovich is. Jan Blakovich was able to do what he did to Israel Adesanya because Jan Blakovich is an elite striker as well. He was able to match Israel Adesanya on the feet. Not now, not necessarily thinking he can knock him out, but to keep him puzzled enough. People were uh, the, the commentary for that fight was kind of infuriating because oh, they were all talking terrible. about they were all talking about Israel Adesanya's feints. Yes, he was baiting on them, but Jan Blakovich outstruck him. He, he he won on the feet, in my opinion, over Israel Adesanya because yeah. it was mesmerizing because of the power that he had, because of the chin that he had. He knows that he can take Adesanya's shots, and Adesanya knows if he lands that big Polish power, it's going to be trouble. And then what he's able to do, use that stuff on the feet to use the takedowns, gets them down, lands some shots on there, is dominant. He did not take him down the entire fight. The first three rounds, he fought with him on the feet towards the end of the round, towards the end of the fight. Once it's starting to get tired, Blakovich takes him down. Absolutely brilliant game plan by a great fighter in Jan Blakovich who can do that. Top 10 fighter in the world right now. Blakovich can do that to Adesanya. Vittori does not possess any skill set like that on the feet. He doesn't possess that. He will go full in into a takedown, get caught with an uppercut, caught with a switch, get caught with something. Once he's rocked, he won't be able to recover. Adesanya is looking to make a statement following losing that fight, which is insane thinking about it. It's like when Max Holloway challenged Dustin Poirier. It's like <laughs> you're doing that just because why not? There's nothing else. He's going to go out there, make an even bigger statement, put Vittori away easy, and prove that Vittori was not ready for this moment at all. I stand by this. Big Adesanya win. Yeah. Yeah, there's not there's not much else to say after that, guys. Like, I think Marvin Vittori, we give him a lot of a crap for what he's done in his past, you know. But we got to realize he is a fantastic fighter still, and he definitely deserves to be in the top five of the middleweights. Do I think he should be number three? That's another story for another time. Do I think he should get this title shot? I, you guys know my opinions on this. No, I don't think so. 
But like Izzy said in the press conference, he wanted someone in June and he got someone in June. Rob wasn't available in June. And you know what? That's all power to Izzy. You know, he, he wanted it. He got it. He's the champ. He should get what he, whatever he wants. And if he wants to pepper his record like this, go ahead. It just makes him look like a better fighter. That's fine. But Marvin Vittori, is, we should not sleep on here yet, guys. He's a fantastic wrestler, and he does surprise you on the feet with his striking ability. We saw this with Jack Hermanson. The fight with Jack Hermanson tells us a lot of things. You know, he can strike. You know, he has the striking ability, and he does get better every time he steps in the cage, I feel like. I feel like his, his show, his performance against uh, Kevin Holland didn't do him any wonders because he just did exactly what Derek Brunson did. We've talked about this before. But if we take a look at what we did against Jack, Jack Hermanson, that tells us a whole other story. This tells us he's an adaptive fighter. He knows what to do when he gets in the octagon, and he's got really good fight IQ. I just think that Izzy's a little bit better than him in all facets of the game except wrestling, but that won't matter too much because he does have the 85% takedown defense rate. Um, I feel like we're all going in circles here. I'll end it right here. Israel Nsaya wins this fight. I'm going to say second-round knockout, but I definitely would not be surprised if it was a first-round knockout when Izzy's trying to catch him in on the way for a uh, takedown or something like that. He gives him, gives him a check left hook or – even just an uppercut, either one. We're going to see Israel and Saya dancing. <laughs> yeah, dude, first of all, shout out Polish power, by the way. Love sure, to my guy, Jan Blakovic. Yes. I also can't wait until Kev Babe Halangamedov returns from AKA <laughs> to take the middleweight <laughs> with, with division. The that, yeah, exactly. Take the division by storm. <laughs> Hold on, I'm talking, brother. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's going to happen. Kevin Holland's going to be taking people down whenever he comes back, not just oh. avoiding it. <laughs> That'd be sensational. But anyway, awesome. back to the back to the topic at hand. Yeah, Marvin Vittori is a good fighter. I don't think he's an elite fighter. At a push, he's a very good fighter. But Adesanya is a good three or four levels above him, and that's just a fact. You know, Hunter brings up the Jack Hermanson fight, and it's a very good point you make. But the Holland fight told me a thousand more stories than the Hermanson fight did. Quite frankly, he copied someone else's tactics, and he still couldn't get it done convincingly. And that tells me everything I need to know. You know, he is an adaptive fighter, but he was getting paced up by a guy with no takedown defense. And that's something I'm deeply concerned by for Marvin Vittori. It's all well and good being a great wrestler until you're in with the best middleweight striker, arguably since Anderson Silva. He's going to rip you apart. It's all well and good relying on takedowns. But if you can't stand with him, then th th there's just no point. And, you know, quite frankly, Marvin Vittori's stand-up is average to pair at best, as I've already said. You know, he could have been training boxing and kickboxing for the last 30 years before this next fight, and he still wouldn't be as good as Israel Adesanya. I think, and again, I actually don't think Jack's prediction's all that impossible at all. I think Vittori's going to shoot in for something, perhaps a punch leading to a takedown. Adesanya's going to counter him with a left hook. He's going to be dazed, maybe into a flying knee. And then he's got, I think he's going to rain elbows in on him. He's going to want to do damage. Adesanya is going to want to make a statement here, be under no illusion whatsoever. And I don't know if Adesanya is going to make him his next baby mama, as he said in the press conference. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going in that direction, <laughs> but I do think he gets a very convincing win here. I think Adesanya is going to knock him out cold. Israel Adesanya, I still think second round KO, but don't be amazed if it's the first either. Yeah, not too much to add on to that. I will say, though, 
Kevin Holland, with one piece of advice from Habib Nurmagomedov, took down uh, uh, Derek Brunson, the first to ever do it in the octagon. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that Kevin Holland takes some time off is an elite wrestler all of a sudden <laughs> training with DC and Habib and then just completely storms everything. So Kevin Holland from <laughs> Dagestan, chin, chin, everything is coming, is coming for you guys. So look out for that. It's, it's Kevin on- Holland from middleweight champ. <laughs> <laughs> coming soon. All right, guys. So moving on to our next topic now, Chad Money Mendez. So he's been retired for a little bit from MMA, but he recently posted a video on Instagram where he looked really, really sharp, especially with his boxing. Um, Very fast, very powerful, hinting at a potential return to either MMA or boxing. Hunter, what do you make about this? I love it. I mean, I don't think Chad Mendez should have left in the first place. If you take a look at his record, he's only lost to champions or like anyone to be a champion or anyone who already was a champion, he's only lost to them. That shouldn't discourage him. He's lost to the best of the best. He's beaten even better. You know, he's a fantastic fighter and he can insist his will on almost any fighter he wants. You know, he's a, he's got hand speed like no other, you know, he, he, he brought in the name of hand speed before anyone else did. Like we talk, we like to talk about Cody Garbrandt's hand speed, but if you take a look at Chad Mendes's hand speed too, it's like he's a ticking time bomb. The way he kind of throws his strikes, it's like a little like a stutter punch. And then he then he throws in, you're like, did he actually just throw a punch? Like he's got some lightning at lightning fast hands. And I would love to see him return to the UFC, but I don't think he will. I think he's gonna go into boxing, which is perfectly fine. I, I love I love to see Chad Money Mendes succeed because we're I'm actually from kind of the same area as him. He's from Sacramento-ish. Uh, he trains from uh, Team Alpha Male. That's like 20, 30 minutes out for me. So anytime he steps in the octagon, I love to see it, see him fight. And I love to see him win. Sadly, he hasn't been winning lately, but that's because he's been losing to world champions. So it's hard for me to not say for him to step in the octagon. He is getting a little bit older as age goes on, but that doesn't mean he's going to be any less of a good fighter because he's got great fight IQ, fantastic hands and really great wrestling. He trains from team alpha male. He's an all around fantastic fighter. He's just not championship material can't say that uh confidently until i see him back in the octagon or the ring yet so i would love to see a return from him i i, I hate to see him out of the octagon or ring so that's that's my two piece on it two cents on it yeah i love chad mendes as well chad mendes is an amazing fighter isn't he an all-american wrestler i'm yes, pretty sure he's division so. one isn't he yeah. Oh, yeah yeah mendes mendes is an unbelievable fighter and as hunter said and again i fully agree with him on this he's only lost to champions losing to champions has no shame in it it means you're losing to the best which means you're testing yourself against the best and that's what the sport's all about so no shame in that whatsoever and certainly no discredit to be taken out of it would i love to see him back in the ufc yes i would And the reason I'd like to see him return to the UFC, especially 145, is that 145 is awash with amazing strikers. And as much as I I love, you know, amazing striking matchups, it's like blood sport in real life. Shout out Jean-Claude Van Damme. (laughs) Um, But what 145 really needs is an elite wrestler to put the cat among the pigeons. And Chad Mendes could be that. Because if we see guys like Edson Barbosa, for example, who I'm a huge fan of, I love Edson. I mean, 
Edson's an unbelievable striker. His Muay Thai is vicious. We've seen that many, many times, but he gets taken down easily. And many guys at 145 are like that. Shane Burgos is pretty similar. I could name quite a few others. Jeremy, well, Jeremy Stevens is more 55, but when he was at 45, he was prone to getting taken down as well. Chad Mendes could fill that void and he really could be a problem for a lot of guys. You know, his hand speed is quick, especially for a wrestler. That's one thing people don't give him enough credit for. You know, everybody notes that, oh, he's a wrestler, you know, his primary things, takedowns and, you know, scrambling in against the cage. For a wrestler, his hand speed is extremely yeah. impressive because that's not his specialty. If it was McGregor, we'd understand it. But at Mendes, his hand speed is really, really good. So I, I, my short answer is I'd love to see him back in the UFC. Would I love to see him try it in boxing? Yeah, I would. I think his hand speed's there. I think he can develop his power really well. But my only issue for Chad Mendes in boxing is his muscle mass. He needs to slim down and lose the muscle because the muscle will drain his gas tank as rounds go on. Boxing is a very different standard prospect to MMA. You can actually get tired more easily in boxing because you, you're taking shots to the body. You're taking shots to the liver, to the kidneys. And that's not even talking about the shots to the face. And especially with the amount of bulk that Chad Mendes carries, he will tire out easily. In terms of actual ability, no concerns whatsoever. I think he'd do a very good stellar job in boxing, probably a welterweight 147 pounds. He's obviously, he probably walks around 155, but he could probably cut that weight. I'd like to see him try it in boxing, especially a slim down Mendez. Absolutely. My only issue for Chad in boxing, as I just said, would be his gas tank, but that's more related to his muscle mass than his actual stamina. If we saw a trim down Chad Mendez, he'd give an unbelievable account of himself. So yes, I want to see Chad Money Mendez return, and I would I would be equally as happy were it in one avenue or the other. Yeah, I completely agree with you guys. I thought whenever I saw that we all we all recently saw that thing recently where it's only he's only lost to champions, I was shocked by that because it seems like Chad Mendez really went on a bad tear towards the end of his career. He lost to the best. It's insane if you think about it. Yeah, he got knocked out, but that was also Frankie Edgar. And we still, even though Frankie Edgar is not at the very, very top, he is one of the best it, to ever do it in the UFC. And that was his first fight kind of experimenting with things. And he did amazing. Chad Mendes has all the skills, just like you guys brought up. I would love to see him back in the UFC. Even if he wanted to, I think, I don't think he, I don't know if he can make 135, but if he could, just hypothetically, that would be amazing to see a potential Chad Mendes versus Sean O'Malley fight. Because Sean O'Malley would have to deal with the wrestling and the hand speed and the power of Chad Mendes, but then Chad Mendes would have to deal with the long rangey style. That's just my mind wandering. He would most likely fight at 145, and that would be the second only, like you said, Keelan, and it's a very, very good point. There are Volkanovski's like the main wrestler in that division, and he's the champ. Um, mixing in with all the other stuff, Chad Mendes has great stand-up ability. He's knocked out so many guys um, using that powerful, fast wrestling power that he has and then if he's struggling he can get taken he can take someone down um i think he looks sharp i think he looks good um a big a part of the reason he was losing at the end and again he's only lost champions or, or future champions former champions only guys that have become champions which is insane um but but it's because he was starting to fight and he, he had taken a couple uh hard losses a lot of 
punishment to the chin, but he's taking some time off. I think he could do quite well, honestly. I don't know. I don't know if he could necessarily challenge for the title, but he would make things a lot interesting, a lot more interesting in those and that division, more interesting than they can even be. The division's already insane. Both of those divisions are already crazy. But just throwing Chad Mendes in there would be unbelievable. Um, he's got all the experience. He's another thing is he's got experience too. A lot of the younger guys in 145 and 135 don't have the experience Chad Mendes does. That's a big factor. Uh, boxing is interesting. I, I stick with whatever Keelan says because he's the boxing expert here. Um, so I trust you there. I think slimming down is a great <laughs> idea. I think slimming down for MMA is a great idea because yeah. we see how muscle carries for MMA as well. Even in the grappling transitions, and even though he, he usually uh, puts those forward, that drains you a lot. Um, so I think you should slim down there as well. Um, but yeah, absolutely. The power is there. The speed is there. Everything is there. Um, uh, I don't know. I, I don't really know how we would do in boxing. You would have to pick his fight. Well, um, it would be interesting though. I would watch. I think it would be fun. Maybe put him on like an undercard of another stupid event that Keelan hates. Oh God, no. About <laughs> Jack, what are you trying to do to me? <laughs> I'm just, I'm just throwing stuff out there. All right. I'm making things happen. Bottom line is, I think we all want to see Chad Mendez fight again. I think he was so phenomenal to watch. And if he doesn't fight again, we can appreciate the level of co- competitor that Chad Mendez is and was and just how elite he even is today, even not fighting. Uh, so, so Chad Mendez, we would love to see you again. Absolutely. Transitioning now, we have some of the best fan questions we will answer right now. Things are about to get heated because this is this, these are insane. Um, so starting with you, Hunter, this is the first one. Who do we think is the greatest of all time? That's the big question everybody always talks about. Pound for pound, best for best. Who do you have as your goat in the UFC? Oh, man. Or MMA. MMA. This, this, yeah. is a, this is a tough one. There's so many fighters I'd like to mention, but it really comes down to one fighter. And I think everyone knows who I'm going to say. It's, it's George St. Pierre. George St. Pierre is, is the greatest to do it. His mentality behind all of his fights he's gone into, um, the way he fights, he's truly a mixed martial artist. The way he trains every single day, the way the, his training techniques to do it, the way he carries himself as a champion, and the way he goes in and steps inside the octagon and actually fights makes him the greatest of all time. You talk about role models in the UFC, it's kind of hard to look up there, all right? There's a lot of smack talkers. There's a lot of people who like to to just make a fool out of themselves. We take a look at George St. Pierre. He's one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. And he truly is a role model. Like he used to get bullied. He came back up from it, made amends with his bully. Like this is, this is something you, you see in movies. George St. Pierre is truly the greatest of all time. You take a look at his record. He had the best welterweight run we've ever seen in the UFC. Um, he did lose to Matt Serra, which honestly was a fantastic story in itself with Matt Serra winning the ultimate fighter, coming back up winning the title, which is also another fantastic um, story, but it's none other than George St. Pierre you can really discredit here. I think John Jones is a fantastic fighter as well. I'd love to mention him, um, but his last few fights have been a little lackluster and a little um, a little just not what we are used to for when we come to look at John Jones. John Jones is also not much of a role model in himself. You know, he's, he's broken the law plenty of times. He's tested positive for performing enhancement drugs. Just a few. GSP. Yeah. Yeah. Just a few times, <laughs> you know, but um, there's not much else I could say here. He, George St. Pierre holds himself at the highest caliber and we should too, you know, he's truly the best and I don't want to see him return because I don't want to see him tarnish his record any, 
any more than he could. You know, I mean, I don't think he, any his, his record's tarnished whatsoever. But when he came back and, and fought uh, uh, Michael Bisping and won in a weight division that he's never been in, it just kind of put the nail in the coffin for me. You know, he truly is the best. And he shouldn't have to prove himself any further than he has already. So that's my two cents again. Um, yeah. George St. Pierre is just such a beautiful, wholesome human being, isn't he? Yeah. You know, the worst insult he ever said was, I'm not impressed by your performance. That's something your coach <laughs> yeah. would say. Then shook his Come hand on. afterwards, too, yeah. <laughs> that man needs to run for Prime Minister of Canada. Yeah, I would become a Canadian. Like, what's he going to say in Parliament? I'm not impressed by your policies? Like, come on. GSP, make it happen. I have two guys who I have joined as the GOAT. Oh, and come on. GSP is one. one of them. You got to pick and one. I, I am going to pick one. Okay. You know, as, as much for the controversy and for the thumbnail as it is, as I genuinely think he is the GOAT. And it's not GSP. It's Anderson the Spider Silva. Oh, I love it. I love it so much. I love it so much. This place, ladies and gentlemen, if you were unfortunate enough not to have seen Anderson Silva in his peak, in his heyday, he ran the middleweight division. He ran the UFC. He was untouchable for a period of about eight years. Every fight he went into, his opponents were broken before they went into it. They were even more broken coming out of it. He went up to 205. He embarrassed Forrest Griffin, knocked him out with a phantom punch like Muhammad Ali against Sonny Liston. Anderson Silva did it in an octagon. He knocked him out with a jab just because of timing. How often have we ever seen this? We have never or at the very least, extremely rarely seen a generational gem of a talent as Anderson Silva, someone who is built for fighting, someone who is just gifted in ways we can only dream of, of expressing themselves through martial arts. Anderson Silva, man, he is... The only word I can use to describe Anderson Silva is a phenom. He went into every fight. The the soundtrack of DMX, Ain't No Sunshine, you knew who was in the building and you knew who was coming to fight and it was the spider. Anderson Silva was just so goddamn good in the octagon. Every fight, an absolute joy to watch. Just toying with his opponents most of the time. Some of the best Muay Thai I've ever seen. Some of the best clinch work I've ever seen. Some of the best jiu-jitsu I've ever seen. Just one of the greatest all-round fighters I've ever seen. And I know he's had, you know, some controversies with particular illegal substance usage, but there's no replacement for hardcore natural talent. And Anderson Silva had it in buckets, you know, just, and what we also have to remember about Anderson Silva as well is his influence and his outreach, you know, Brazil and South America have had people like the Gracies before. They've had Vitor Belforts. They've had Nogueira brothers. They've had a lot of people. They never had an Anderson Silva until they did. That man is the reason why most of South America are such hardcore mixed martial arts fans. And like I said at the beginning of my piece, if you were not fortunate enough to witness the rise of the spider, just go on to YouTube after you've watched this YouTube video and watch it. And do watch ours to the very end, please. Thank you. 
go onto YouTube, watch highlights of Anderson Silva and just appreciate the beautiful majesty of it. It's like Bruce Lee, if Bruce Lee had ever done martial arts, just, you know, what was the philosophy Bruce Lee had? You know, imperfect perfectionism. That's what Anderson Silva was. You couldn't catch him. You couldn't punch him. And the only person that ever really beat Anderson Silva was Anderson Silva. Everything went downwards against Chris Weidman because Silva didn't have his hands up. If he'd have fought the true Anderson Silva style, he could have been middleweight champion still. We don't know how history would have turned out. Anderson Silva, greatest of all time. I love it. And why did he do that? Because he had been so dominant. He put his hands out. He was confident he wouldn't get caught. Yeah, I can. I love. I don't know. You don't know how much I love that you just mentioned that and said that because no one really puts Anderson Silva in the GOAT conversation anymore because of what his career turned out to be. But he absolutely should be. Now, he's not mine. Um, I think just based off my, my reactions, you can tell which one is mine. But I mine? love so. Yeah, no, I love <laughs> so much that you mentioned that. Um and I'm also kind of disappointed, though. I thought you were going to say John Jones, and I was so prepared to say, how could you say John Jones is the GOAT and then be all over TJ Dillashaw? I was so ready for it. I was so ready for it. But you Hunter, ruined we that, destroyed Keenan. the round. You yeah, ruined we that. Let's yeah, have anyway. Come on. Come let's on. Help I was fully ready to point out your hypocrisy, but it's not there. Oh. All right. But I will say this. GSP, the GOAT for me. Uh, he was so dominant. Just... Anderson Silva was dominant to a level that no one was dominant because he was finishing everybody just left and right. Absolutely crazy. But GSP was dominating everybody until um, Johnny Hendricks, which was the, the fight that I do agree that he lost and everything. And this is the argument that I make. There's two arguments that I'll make one against Anderson Silva and one against John Jones. Um, strictly not talking about any performance enhancing drugs or hitting pregnant ladies and running away from the accident. I'm just saying, John Jones has had three extremely controversial fights in his career. Alexander Gustafson, Dominic Reyes, and I also do count Tiago Santos because that fight was very, yeah. very close, and Tiago Santos was fighting on no legs. So the fact literally. that those fights, lit yes, literally blew out both of his knees in that fight, kept going, and argued not – I don't necessarily think he won, but it was close enough to where it was almost a split decision, and a lot of people think that he did win that fight. And no one talks about that because Dominic Reyes did it to an even further level the following fight. So it's there. Um, Anderson Silva – Really, Chael Sonnen, he came back and, and finished him in, in that fight, one of the greatest fights ever, uh, then dominated Chael Sonnen again, lost to Chris Wyman. And why why I have GSP over Anderson Silva is because of the way the, the end of their careers turned out. Anderson Silva was so dominant for the longest time, but then he wasn't ever really able to recover from that and went on a winning, losing streak and everything. GSP went out. And, and, and had that controversial win over Johnny Hendricks, still a win. And every fighter that GSP has lost to in the octagon, he has avenged that loss, which is unbelievable yeah, yeah. to think about. Those two guys that he lost to early on in his career, when he's still coming up and crazy and everything, he came back and became champion again. And then went on that unbelievably long streak. Anybody that still argue, that argues Kamara Usman is better than GSP as the welterweight goat is out of their mind. No. GSP, if you think about it, it's not even a question. Not even a question. Not, not yet. Maybe not. Well, yeah, I'm still leaving the door open, but I'm yeah. just saying you can't even talk That's about right. that yet. Kamara has to do a lot more. That's a different conversation for another day. But I'm just saying GSP was so dominant for the longest time. Lost, uh, didn't lose to, arguably lost to Johnny Hendricks right there. But still, that counted as a win for him. He he retired, then, or not retired, he said he was taking a break. Two years go by. 
everybody thinks GSP's done. He's he's out of there. Two years goes by. He faces Michael Bisping, headlining UFC 217 for the middleweight championship. Never fought in middleweight in the UFC. It's it's a completely different weight class. He's put on all this muscle and everything. Goes out there and puts on one of the best performances of his, of his career. After two years away from the octagon, he looked better than he did in the past two fights when he was the champion at welterweight. Unbelievable. Went out on top. Did it unbelievably. Avenged every loss he ever had in the octagon. Went on the one of the longest, uh, only uh, other longest were Demetrius Johnson and Anderson Silva title winning streaks, title uh, defenses, and went out on top in another weight division, in another weight division also, in middleweight. Went up a weight division after two years and defeat the current champion the way he did. Unbelievable. That is also why GSP is to go. And another one for John Jones because most people do indeed have GSP one, John Jones two, or vice versa. It's usually those two are in the conversation. Um, so I'm just throwing this out here there because I, I actually, I really expected Keelan to have John Jones. I'm disappointed. I thought he was going to do it, but I thought you knew me better than that. I, 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 do I, have I, some I really thought so. I really thought so. I'm sorry. I, I know that now, but uh, if John Jones has not also <laughs> fought in, he, he's, he stayed in his division his entire career and you can't hold that against him. But when you're talking about the GOAT conversation as well, and this whole heavyweight controversy, it's something to consider. Because if he was to go up there and beat Ngannou and become champion, that's a good case for him being the GOAT. That's a really good case for him being the GOAT. Um, but he, he, it doesn't look like that's going to happen. It doesn't look like that's going to that, that's play out, at least at the moment. And that, including all of the other stuff, and I do personally weigh heavily well, now I know Keelan does as well, the performance-enhancing drugs and the outside-the-octagon stuff against John Jones. And I, I I really do because I think a lot of those performances, uh, the, the Daniel Cormier knockout, a lot of that stuff, it's it goes back. It, it, it takes away from his legacy and everything. And while you look at other guys like GSP and Anderson Silva, Anderson Silva did pop for, for drugs, but that was against Nick Diaz following his leg injury and everything. And that whole situation was like – yeah, and they were both on drugs in that fight too, so it canceled it out. Um, but but yes, I I love the Anderson Silva shout so much, and I, I really appreciate you saying that. But GSP is, in my opinion, the greatest of all time because of the way he went out, because of the way his legacy stands, avenging every single fight that he lost, going out on the very top in another weight division after two years away, still looking in shape to this day. He's growing out hair. GSP, unbelievable. Um, and I think he's the goat for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, again, I'm I'm not mad at the George St. Pierre argument. What kind of person would I be if I was? <laughs> and to, to say to your face, you're wrong. I can't do that. GSP is just such a good fighter. I do stand by Anderson Silva, though. And the man deserves the the level of disrespect Anderson Silva gets is beyond criminal, yes. quite frankly. Absolutely. Even the most hardcore GSP fan will agree with that. One person who I do want to sort of eulogize in a way is John Jones, actually. And, you know, a lot of people, especially newer fans, love sticking the boot into Jones and they love mocking him and so on. I'm just so, so sad how his career has panned out over the last few years. The only person that's ever beaten John Jones, aside from those three, really, is John Jones. And this is what yeah. people don't understand. If John Jones had stayed on track and if John Jones had gone through the fights and he hadn't had the controversy, he would be on my number one by a mile. 
And I have no problem saying that there is no one who is a built a, a man built for fighting more than John Jones on Un, ungodly athletic talent. You know, this is physical attributes, everything, you know, his, his fighting careers just completely spiraled and crapped out. Frankly, you know, Again, the Gustafson fight, I had Jones winning three to two, largely because of the spinning elbow in the fourth. I think that changed the tide of the fight. Again, not mad at the Gustafson argument. That's just my opinion. Uh, You know, really, ever since the Oven St. Prue fight that he came back to, he just never looked the same. You know, again, he was lackluster against St. Prue, but won every round. And he's just not gotten any better. I mean, I thought to myself, okay, warm-up fight, completely forgivable. Now we're going to start seeing the old John Jones. And we just didn't. And he sh- his career should be so much better than it is now. And look, again, as I pride myself on being as fair of a fan and as unbiased of a journalist as I can be. And if I'm going to apply such a strict drug threshold to someone like TJ Dillashaw, I'm going to apply it to John Jones as well. I'm not going to pick and choose who I apply it to based on who I like more. And, you know, the only person who's ruled himself out of the GOAT conversation is John Jones because he's done too much outside of the octagon and not enough inside it. And the thing is, as well as mixed martial arts fans, one thing we take very seriously is role modeling as well. GSP model role model. Anderson Silva, I still think an excellent role model. John Jones just isn't. You can't you can't argue that in any way. The hit and run with a pregnant woman in Albuquerque, the various drug charges he's gone through, you know, picogram, all these kind of keywords you can think of, picogram gate. Uh, I mean, come on. I'm sorry. It's just it's just sad to think. And one person who I am going to discount out of this, actually, when we think of what we've said as well as Khabib. I don't think Khabib's in the GOAT conversation for one reason, and it's a reason you actually mentioned. He hasn't tested himself at 170. Yes, I agree. I think for someone who's such a massive 155er who literally killed himself every fight just to get an advantage on his opponents, not testing himself at 170 was inexcusable. Unbelievable fighter with an undefeated record. But the reason I love MMA is that we're not boxing fans here and we don't judge greatness on who has to know when the end of the record and who doesn't. It's about challenging yourself and testing yourself against the best. Khabib wiped out his division once. That was the time to go up to 170. All right, maybe not be a champ champ, but at least prove you can beat some of the guys at 170. And again, you can't fault him for not doing it, but you cr- you can't credit it for him either. You have to neutralize one against the other. So again, I'm to sort of sum up where I'm going with this. I'm not mad at the George St. Pierre call. Frankly, I would be tempted to give it to him number one as well, but I will also stand very, very strongly by the spider Anderson Silva. Yeah. Yeah. I completely, I, I really like what you said there too. And, and another interesting thing about Anderson Silva is that he did actually test himself a couple times at 205. Now he never fought yeah. for a belt, but he did fight at 205. I would have loved to see that for, for Habib. And I completely agree with that point. And, and, um, that, that yes, the, the undefeated record thing, people calling him the goat. I think that next step was absolutely what he needed. Um, not to say he's not one of the greatest fighters of all time, Pro- definitely in the top five for me and greatest fighters of all time, but he is not the top of the top. And I can, I, I think that point is absolutely sound. I think um, you'd anyway. have to put BJ Penn above him. 
because BJ Penn would fight anybody. I think so. I think I think that's I think that's a good argument. I think that's a good argument. That I could go back and forth with that one because yeah. of just how dominant Habib was in this division. You you have to say the same thing for Demetrius Johnson, in my opinion, as well, and why I don't sure, have sure. him at the top because of that exact same reason, except for even further to an extent. Because how dominant was he in his division for the <laughs> longest time? And I was always like, go fight Dominic Cruz again. Go avenge that loss. Go do something. But it, he wanted he, he, you know, and that's fine. He was completely dominant in that division, and that's because he is a more one twenty five pound fighter, and he's more made for that weight class than Habib is for one fifty five. Being honest, but still, when you're that dominant, to be the absolute goat, I think you have to challenge yourself further than a fighter can challenge themselves. And then you also have to to have the title defenses, which is why Connor is not any of our goats. Because yes, he beat, he became the champ, champ, but he didn't defend any of the belts. So you have to have a good mix Once. of both. Didn't defend at one time. Exactly, exactly, and in either weight class, and we'll we'll talk about that. And we have a lot of Connor content coming because this fight's coming. So, but yeah, I I really like what you said there. And the last thing I, I was thinking about John Jones too, is that if there's one guy who didn't need any of that, it's John Jones. Think about all of the like you said, natural athletic ability made for fighting. That's why I'm so disappointed because. It, I, John Jones was honestly one of my favorites going into his first title fight against Shogun Hua. He stopped like the, the lady being robbed the night before, goes out there, beats Shogun Hua, no, no drugs or anything. Just the, just the, he was just the, the pure, clean guy and everything, all natural ability, just dominating opponents. And that is just what I think he could. I, I agree with you. He would absolutely be the GOAT if he hadn't have done that. And I just don't think he needed to do that for his career. I don't think he, he, he just, if there's ever anyone who did not need to do it, it's, it's, it's John Jones. And that's why it's so disappointing, but yes, I completely agree with that. I love the Anderson Silva shout so much sticking with Hunter and GSP, but yes, great conversation. And that's just one fan question. Now we're moving on to another one, which I love so much, saved it for last. And it's a very unique one. It's if you could go back in time to any UFC event live, which one would you go to and why? Hunter, starting with you. We're going back to 2015, UFC 189. I would love to see a Conor McGregor fight, but yes. there's one other fight on there that I would like to see a lot more than just Conor McGregor versus Chad Money Mendez. The prelims? <laughs> the prelims, yeah. No, I would Robbie like Stevens to see prelims. Robbie Lawler and Rory McDonald or uh, throw down and just – produce one of the greatest fights in UFC history to be there in that crowd. When Robbie Lawler is spitting blood and staring down Rory McDonald would be honestly one of the highlights of my life. I would love to see it. And just to see it live in person, there's just, there's going to be no other feeling like that. And then on top of that, right after that, you get a Chad money Mendez versus Conor McGregor fight, which I would love to see any Conor McGregor fight live because the fans to go absolutely ballistic and to be honest, at this time in 2015, Conor McGregor is one of the coolest fighters to watch. Yeah, Precision beats power. uh, Timing beats speed. You know, this is one of the greatest fighters we've seen develop. And then we come out there and we're seeing take on one of the greatest fighters also in that weight division, Chad Money Mendez, who's got some of the fastest hands and really only lost to a champion once or twice. This would be a time in which the greatest fights are occurring. And just this was like honestly one of the peak uh, fan events to, to to live through, you know, 2015, you know, you're seeing some of the greatest of all time go out there and they're putting on performances. So uh, UFC 189, I mean, there's so many other UFC events I would love to see and I wouldn't be, 
I'm not going to be angry with any uh, event you guys call out. But this one is just personally, just because I would love to see the Robbie Lawler versus Rory McDonald fight live. That carries my whole argument right here. And that is what I'll leave it at. Dude, this is such a great question because there's so many cards oh, you yeah. can pick from this. You know, just off the top of my head, UFC 1. You know, the yeah. very the very beginning. I, I, I thought about that. Yeah. <laughs> I was just to, to see that. Archie Gamble with the one boxing glove fighting a jiu-jitsu guy. That would be amazing. <laughs> and 400-pound sumo wrestlers oh, against the Gracie's. Just madness. Um, I'd love to go if I could. I'd love to have seen a tough one, Griffin Bonner. Yeah. You know, uh, the, like I said in the last episode, the fight that literally saved the UFC. You know, two huge history making fights GSP Jake Shields in Toronto. That would have been amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Any Brazil fight with Anderson Silva headlining would have been peak. Um, I have to say one of the fights that I really would have loved to have been to was UFC 189, actually. You know, whenever I was actually in Boston, whenever this fight happened, I was over there on holiday. And I remember in New York and Boston, this fight being advertised everywhere. And this was this was sort of one half level below peak, like world dominating McGregor. It felt like he was on the cusp of greatness and the promotion just captured it perfectly. And I remember people being so psyched up for it too. And the fight just delivered everything and more, you know, to be in the crowd whenever Lawler and McDonald are going at it, to hear the commentary, to hear the noise, to see the blood, you know, to see the stare down, just, just, it's it's the essence of being a fight fan and then mcgregor mendez you know the teep kick to the body the one two he falls down is he going to get it finished in time he does we have a new interim champion and then he skyrockets from there it's just insanity ufc 205 first yeah, fight card yeah, yeah. in new york city would have been amazing you know just an incredible card 217 with gsp and bisping would have been amazing too and, you know, of course, we have Garbrandt and Cruz in that. But, you know, there's just, there's, and again, those are just the fights that are off the top of my head. Even UFC 244 BMF title fight would have been amazing to see. In truth, there's so many unbelievable cards you could pick from. And like Hunter, I ain't mad at any of them that you've called out, unless it's really Derek Lewis and Ganu or something like that. <laughs> then I would question your knowledge as a fight fan. But there's just so many fighters and so many fights that I love to see. You know, the likes of John Jones against Machida and Shogun, who oh, we've just mentioned. Awesome. You know, the, just there's so many moments of history that you could pick from. Those would be my main ones. But realistically, I'd go through every fight card if I could. I just, there's so many. And and just to branch off of what you said too, some some old ones that, I, that go into my mind, John Jones, Alexander Gustafson, one of the first pay-per-views I ever saw. I would love to see that one. Uh, uh, Nick Diaz versus GSP, the hype around that oh, fight and everything, awesome. even the, everything into that. Um, I have to have UFC 189 as mine. Um, and, and there's so many reasons for this. First off, let me just read off the card. And this is one of the rare cards where I remember vividly every single fight on the main card. And it was just because of the hype around it and everything. We started off with Brad Pickett, who always brings it, against Thomas Almeida. And this was when Thomas Almeida was rising in the UFC. It was a flying knee knockout in round two. 
after he was losing the the fight to Brad Peckett for the majority of the time, landed the flying knee and won, and that's how we got the night started. Then we went on to Gunnar Nelson, um, who won by a submission in round one. Obviously, Connor's guy, very fun style, great submission artist. Dennis Bermudez versus Jeremy Stevens, which I thought that's fight of the night right there. They were brawling and everything. Then we get to the co-main event, Robbie Lawler, Rory McDonald. You can't even say anything. We just had a whole podcast basically about this on our welterweight special. Go listen to that because it is unbelievable. One of the best fights of all time. One of my favorite fights of all time in the UFC, if not my favorite. Then we have Connor versus Chad Mendez. The, the, the thing for me, which would make UFC 189 so fun to go to is not only that it's one of the best cards the UFC's put on ever, it's the fact that you, I, this question is also about which one would a fan be fun going to. This was the first absolute Connor takeover in the UFC for his fans. Absolute Irish takeover. Exactly, Keeling. Yes, you did it. Absolute <laughs> takeover of Las Vegas. It was the first one. Every other event after that, Connor's completely owned with, with, with all of Ireland supporting him. But you just remember the deafening sound. There's never been in the arena arguably louder than that was at that moment and everything. And after watching one of the greatest wars of all time, you can hear Sinead O'Connor's uh, foggy <laughs> do, him walking out. And no, not even the notorious B.I.G., which was which is amazing after that, too. But it's just the pure foggy dew, And it's just so calm. It's eerie. Everybody's losing their minds. Connor's walking out a live performance, literally, literally goosebumps. Then you have Chad Mendez walking out. Everybody's flipping him off. You got the country music and everything. But it's just like unbelievable. The fight itself was crazy. Connor fighting through adversity that he's never faced before in his career to come back and win it. And then one of my favorite parts, too, which always gets overlooked, but it kills me every single time. They interviewed Chad Mendes after, and he's always like, he, he was he was about to say, he was saying, I wish I I wish we had that kind of support here at home. And then he was like, oh, wait, I am home. This is Connor. <laughs> the Irish people have taken it over. It was unbelievable. Everything about that night was crazy. Um, my second on the list was probably 217 because I was so hyped for that fight card. Unbelievable. Rose Namajunas, one of my favorite bandweight fights of all time, despite all of the controversy. TJ Dillashaw versus Cody Garbrandt. Main event, GSP Bisping. Um, everything about that night was unbelievable. 205 has to be on the list, of course. Um, and I'm going to throw a fun one in there. UFC 229, Habib versus McGregor. I would love to be oh, involved with awesome. that brawl if it was going on. Like, just to see it going <laughs> oh, on. Oh, come on, Jack. Habib jumping right there. <laughs> Jack, Jack Ego-Tyvon. A bunch of McGregor, I know it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was actually one of Habib's guys that was in there yeah. and then threw the punch. Yeah, no, um, but yes, those it, really any UFC event except for like I don't know Anderson Silva, Damian Maya, Adesanya uh, uh, versus Yolo Romero, Ngannou versus uh, Derek Lewis, which yeah. that card might have actually been decent, but that fight alone just tanks it. Um, it, it, there were so many, so many that you could go to almost every other weekend. I would love to go to one, but these are just the elite cards. UFC 189 just always comes to mind because of just how the experience of that feeling like you were in the arena just by watching it on the TV. I could not imagine what it would have been like to actually be there. And so that's why I have it is, is mine that like, if I could go back in time, that's where I would be. That's a great one. It's a great one. But I gotta, I gotta say, you know, the Yo Romero versus Israel and Sai main event one, terrible. But the co-main event, 
absolutely a banger. It was, it was Wei Lee versus a uh, uh, Joanna. Oh, that was event, that. I oh, I would love to see that. Oh, live. that would have been insane. Yeah, never mind. But, uh, I take that back 100%. Yeah, my bad. Absolutely. <laughs> I apologize. That's probably no, my no, worst no, take no. ever. Good. I forgot I, I about it at first, and I'm like, wait, wasn't the comment event pretty yeah. good? Yeah, yeah, that's but, all. Um, I also got to say, one that wasn't included UFC 100. I got, I would love yeah. to go to that. You could see yeah. GSP fight, you could see uh, Brock Lesnar fight Frank Mir. Um, you can see our early John Jones before he was title or he was even a light heavyweight uh, king. You know, there were so many like different fights on that card with such huge names on it. I would love to see Michael Bisping's on that card too. Um, just so many great fights. Dan, Han- Dan Henderson on that fight card. Uh, but like you guys have said, I would, I'd be fine with going to any UFC event anytime, you know, even those lackluster main events, that's fine. I'm going to see some fantastic co-main events or some fantastic uh, fights leading up in the preliminaries you know any type of fight i would love to go watch fall live so i gotta say that first and foremost but uh i'm gonna still stick with ufc 189 and but my close second is ufc 100 to be honest yeah any fight special you know it's what makes us enjoy them so much as fans 189 is just a gem it is just one of the pinnacle cards you know for every reason that we've just described you know great fights leading up to the co-main co-main explodes and that main event just takes it to a different level as well all the ingredients just came together perfectly in that occasion so that's my pick yeah absolutely i and i I would love to be at the UFC 263 coming up or UFC 264 or, or, or 250, any of them. I would love to go. This card coming up is so stacked. It's just the UFC came, seems to just keep getting better and better. Uh, we had like a warm-up fight night this past week, and now we're going into some of the most insane fight weeks I think I've seen in a long time. We have 263. Then we have – what's the next fight night after that? Um, uh, oh, it's, Dan, versus... no, it's Dan Ige versus oh. – um, Korean zombie. Korean zombie, which is, oh, that's such a good fight. That is such a good fight. Then we go 264, or maybe there's one after that, but there's 264. Then we go uh, Sanhig and Shaw, and then Holloway. Was it Holloway? I thought it was Holloway before. It might be Holloway Holloway before. We have Max Holloway, then Sanhig and Dillashaw. All of that's in this, just back to back to back to back to back. We are just loaded with fights. It's unbelievable. Um, And and these questions were great. Great podcast, guys. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening. Please make sure to like and subscribe on YouTube. Uh, go ahead and uh, check us out everywhere. As Keelan says, as we all say, check us out everywhere. We are literally everywhere, including iTunes and Spotify. Those are the main ones. Please make sure to follow us on Instagram at MMA.Island and check out all of our great work on our website, MMAIsland.net. Again, thank you, everyone, so much for listening. Amazing podcast, guys. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.